and welcome to the Xbox World Strongcast. This is Strongcast number seven. And when you're listening to this, it will be the 27th of January 2012. Um, we've got a packed podcast for you today. And with me, uh, we have Matthew Castle. Hello. Mike Gapper. You're right. And Tim Weaver, special guest. Hello there. Back on the Strongcast for one last well, job. Well, we did one last. One, one another yeah, one last job. So what the we, sequel. What yeah. happened was um, Andy was supposed to be in a different country this morning, but he's not. He's here. More's the pay. He loves so, Strongcasting well, so much. So we booked uh, we, we need booked, to mask that disappointment a little better, Mike. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, we booked him up, and uh, well, now we've got a, a bumper lineup. It's good, though, having four people. It is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice, nice dynamic to this room. Yeah. Makes it feel more like a cast. Four big men. Four big men facing off. So before giant men of gaming. <laughs> no, no girls though, conspicuous by their absence. Yeah, girls yeah. like much like our office. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But if the, uh, um, anyone's thinking about getting into the games industry, you should you should know before you get in that you, you should probably meet a girl before you join the industry mm. because it's not going to happen after you've joined. Unless you are a girl, in which case you probably walk into yeah. a job in the games industry. Yeah. Yeah, that's food for thought. <laughs> Everyone looks really sad. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> no, right. Yeah, yeah, sausage yeah. fest. Huh. Yeah. So, um, big news this week: uh, Resi Six trailer. Resi Six formally announced by Capcom, even though it was sort of one of the worst kept secrets in the games industry. Um, and they announced it with a what what I think is a, a fantastic trailer, and it shows a hell of a lot of game. A hell of a lot of game. Most most trailers, you, they sort of announce mm. it. You get a teaser. You get you get like a flash of someone's gun, and someone whispers the word, you know, fortress. No, not that. And then, and, was, but uh, no, no. This is this, this, was, this like was three two, or four minutes. Two, of, well, I think it's like two minutes, thirty seconds, or three minutes mm. of, well, boredom. Oh, boo! Oh, here he God. goes. Oh, contrary, it's, it's, Mike. Hey, listen, you said the same as I did. You I, said this. I said it's, it's, it's loads of content yeah. with no sense of pace, no sense of structure. It was not an exciting trailer. I don't think it's a great... I, I disagree with Andy, actually. I don't think it's a great trailer. I think that it's just like a lot of... But, 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 but here's some stuff. And, 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 and you don't get an idea of what the story <laughs> is or how the game's structured necessarily. But I do think it was brave of them and, and probably it was, it was a necessary PR um, step because it's been rumour for so long and then they can at least by going out and showing so much footage they can say look here's a game it's massively further along yeah, than you yeah, probably yeah. thought it was and here's a load of stuff to prove it I don't necessarily think it was a well structured trailer though mm. oh no no I'm not I'm not saying it was it was a particularly artfully done trailer I was just I thought it was great because it shows so much game it did and, I mean, and you it, just you just don't get that no, an awful lot well you know if the game's coming out in November they're probably almost into polishing bug fixing stages it's been in development mm. for a long time mm. I mean, what, what happened with it? I didn't actually read. They, they were talking about there being six-player co-op in it as well. Is that just a that rumor? That all probably, yeah. So that came out on the Xbox.com. And if you look in all three of the campaigns you got there, you've got, um, you got the Slaphead Mercenary. Mm. He's our new guy. He's going along with Ashley Graham. You've got Chris Redfield in the kind of Gears of War shootout section. Yeah. And then you've got Leon S. Kennedy, Everybody loves everybody's favourite Leon. He's in a section of his own which is more survival horror. It's yeah. um, it's got proper old school Resident Evil zombies. And what does the S stand for in Ken- Leon S Kennedy? I think it might be shooting. Scott. Might be Scott because everyone calls him Leon S Kennedy because because that's 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 the name he's been given yeah. over and over again. Yeah. But I don't, I, I, I don't know what the S stands for. No one's ever said. 
I bet Pellet would know. Yeah, Pellet would know. <laughs> the horrible tableau would be for us five of us and here he is yeah, no yeah. don't worry he's not here uh, squirrel thanks Ballot. see you later so what were we, we saying it's something you asked a question so it's split into three sections three, yeah, six player co-op six player co-op okay so in each section all three of the guys have got a co-op buddy with them so you're talking two player co-op in the campaign in all three campaigns um, six player co-op would be mercenaries because mm. in mercenaries, you'll have what you'll have is like a, a six-player siege modes, horde-style modes, mm. where you get together with your friends and you sort of defend against wave after wave of zombies, and that'll be mercenaries or maybe something similar to the 3DS games uh, raid, raid mode. mode. Tell us about raid mode. Raid mode, uh, yeah. Raid mode's in Resident Evil Revelations, which is the big sort of 3, 3DS game, and it's the sort of spiritual successor to mercenaries. Instead of being kind of like a time attack, you know, you're locked in an area with loads of zombies. It's an, like an action zombie course that you have to run. You know, you get from one end to the other. You're judged on time, accuracy, number of enemies killed, but it's got like a loot system, so. Every time you complete a run, you get like a new gun, new upgrade, so you get better and faster and faster at doing the runs. And it, it, it is co-op, you know. It's, yeah. it's it's designed for two people, and it's it feeds re- back into the single player. Game. Yeah, it's really nice because like the stuff you sort of unlock there, then you get to unlock in the single player. I never like mercenaries, but that sounds fun. Yeah, it's good. It's really I've been playing it loads actually. I'm, I'm absolutely obsessed with it. I think it's I think it's brilliant. Cause it's kind of got that looty, grindy like, yeah. oh, I will have another go with my new kind of you know slightly better zoom on this gun or whatever, and you just keep doing it. I'd like to see them bring that over because everyone loves a bit of loot yeah I think, I think so don't. and on Xbox Live that's just oh, obvious man. The you, get, you, get, you get the you and five of your friends together yeah yeah so, this is appealing to the exact same people who liked Horde and that's the funny thing about the new Resident Evil trailer you watch it and you're like wow someone in Japan has been playing a lot of Gears of War <laughs> yeah. I think, I think you know, all, no, all the developers in, in Japan have been playing nobody Gears of in Japan War, but, played the game but except perhaps everyone no, in no one who actually buys games yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean no one's got an Xbox in Japan apart from the people with dev kits running in their studios but but it's not it's not going to be one no we think do we because we think because they split the campaign up three ways into three characters yeah. they're going to be different but, gameplay styles per Having said that, all three of the campaigns demonstrated some similar things, which is there's a sprint button now. There's clearly a sprint button. Mm. There's dual wielding now. We've mm. got Leon holding two guns. There's a cover button and there's a dive button, a dive slash jump button as well, because um, Leon leaps through the air, Max Payne style, lands on his back. He's firing from his back. You know, they've, they've made it a much more kinetic fight now in theory. Mm-hmm. It's interesting actually talking about the kind of different flavours because to go back to that revelations because you know this was made in between Resi 5 and Resi 6 obviously and they said it a lot of times they said well this is kind of like Resi 6 you know I'd really like to stick a number on the end of revelations because to me you know it feels this is the producer talking yeah. not me it's just to me this is this feels like the natural successor and that game also cuts between lots of different locations and it has kind of action segments with this Chris this is their new thing right yeah Chris and what's her face the new one not Shiva that's fine I can't remember. Do you think maybe there's an element of them playing safe though? When they're when they're playing three campaigns with one's yeah. like a melee fighting game, one's a cover based shooter, and one's a survival horror well, game. Well, they, they got Resi Five so badly wrong, didn't they? They pitched mm. it so badly wrong, and I think that they they probably are quite quite burnt by by their experiences on Resi Five. I mean, Revelations is 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 a real return to form for them. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's probably in their thinking in Resi Six that they'll they yeah. That they're they get they're making it less risky, I think. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, by including those Gears of War style sections, it's it's another Japanese developer. I mean, not to I'm not 
judging the game now, obviously, but it's another Japanese developer trying to do a, a Western specialism. And, and as we've seen in the past, it's it's not always been very successful. No. Yeah, mm. the thing the thing I would say for Capcom, though, and Resident Evil as a whole, is that it has an eye for, like, honking melodrama that, like, no other kind of, like, Western series just don't touch. Zombie they're president so, in the Oval e- Office. You know, everyone's so busy and being kind of so cool and posturing. It's like, you know, Gears of War, these are kind of cool dudes you want to hang out with. Well, Resident Evil, it's all exactly, it's zombie president. It's you know I'm the lone soldier in this sort of army of zombies, and you know it's the it's the president's daughter saving another dude from zombies. It's completely stupid, and it's mm. really endearing. I think I really like that about Resi. It's always kept that that really melodramatic it's, kind of cheesy. It's kind closer of tone. to what games used to be before they desperately wanted to be films, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah, you know, like it wouldn't fly as gloriously a film. silly. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think I think having that sort of scope that it can sort of jump jump around the world is going to be going to be really good for it. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and uh, going back to the the bold mercenary guy. Yeah, there's theories going around about him, isn't there? So he, um, people seem to think he's um, he's the other Wesker brother because mm. there were seven Weskers, <laughs> only two survived. This is nonsense, isn't it? There's, uh, there's seven Weskers, two survived, one of them you killed in Resident Evil 5. Uh, so there's only one left? There's one left. One Wesker. Yeah, one to Wesker. Rule them all. Dave Wesker. And people want his blood or something. And oh. Alex Wesker. Just, is it? we're getting yeah, into serious Resident not, Evil not lore Barry right Wesker now. either. He was one of the other ones. Wesker. Dave, Dave Wesker. Dave Wesker. Dave Wesker, yeah. yeah. Gonna, what was Wesker's first oh, name? Oh, don't ask. That's the thing. I was hoping you wouldn't ask. Oh, right. Sorry. I <laughs> don't know. <laughs> I thought he was called Wesker. It's Al something. Albert. 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 So this is Alex uh, Wesker, right. supposedly. Possibly. Who knows? But what we do know is that he's, he, he's a guy who doesn't need a gun. He's going around just fully fisting up zombies. <laughs> he's, just punch, he's just punching. Punching them, to yes. qualify that. He's punching yeah. the shit out of them. Mm. Um, I thought the, the actual uh, variety of the kind of a, the actual like, action snippets you got in the trailer, in terms of like the enemy types they were fighting, and that there was some up close yeah, fighting. The thing fun. he was fighting was like this big nemesis kind of thing, which yeah. is like all mm. part machine, part man. Yeah, I'm up for that. Yeah, that's gonna be all right. And there so, was like a thing that looked like El Gigante. Or and the actual was, combat system looked, looked fairly similar to Batman. So mm. what, what we've got, I now, wouldn't be surprised if it's another game they've cribbed from. What, what we've got now is is basically it's Re- Resi Six, so it's, it's sort of using the Resi Four sort of design. Because mm. the over-the-shoulder stuff. Yeah, it's learned its lessons from Revelations in terms of you know it, its co-op. I mean, th- we think that's where it's going. You got Resi Operation Raccoon City, which although duff is very much <laughs> going going down the co-op line. They're, they're sort of trying duff. that out. So <laughs> could could do we think Resi Six is going to be like a best of Resi, like a sort of greatest hits of Resi, all, all sort of done up in quite shiny I think HD. It's a, nice. I think it's a desperate and cowardly move from Capcom, if I'm honest. But really? it'll sell games. Yeah, but it's how, how how it's the safest game they could ever play. When Resident Evil Four came out, it was the most dangerous game Capcom have ever released. It's the biggest brand they've got, mm. and they completely rewrote all the rules. They'd been the game twice. Imagine that. Imagine if we sat there in, in the office a month into a make, making the magazine, said, "Nah, it's rubbish. Let's do it again." And just started <laughs> from scratch. Mm. It'd be insane. That's one month's work. That's nine people. This is with a team of probably 50, 60, and Mikami said, oh, it's just, just, just been it. Don't worry about it, that's no, no good. Just start again. And they did. And then they did it one more time. And then the game they came out with defined action games for the next five years. Resident Evil 6 ain't defining anything for the next any years. I think, I think Resi 6 does display symptoms of ha- of a game that with a slight identity crisis. I mean at, at all points up until res- up to and including Red- Resi 4. 
mm. Resi knew exactly what it was. You know, before Resi 4, it was a survival horror and it played it it played it like that mm. and it played mm. that game very well. With Resi 4, they went back to the drawing board and they said, we're going to do something different. And okay, they started it again twice, but they came out with this revelatory kind of approach to for, for Resi. And Resi 5 was like this sort of semi-compromise for a Western audience. And now Resi 6 looks like it's a sort of a compromise for the Western audience with a bit of other stuff chucked in. I still, I'm still quite excited about it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not necessarily being negative. I'm just saying it does look like it's mm. caught, it's caught between two stalls and it doesn't really mm. know quite what it wants to well, be. It's trying it, to be all, all things to all people. Because what's Resident Evil Revelations like? You're the only one here who's played that so far. Mm. How's, how's it held up? Yeah, it's great. I really liked it. I thought it it was a really... It felt like Resi 4 and its kind of controls and everything, but it was that sort of displaced into the, the, the environment of a kind of traditional Resi. It's like a ghost house. It's a ghost house action game. You know, you're walking through an abandoned ship with Resi combat, so... When it wants the action beats, it can do the Resi 4 action beats. And when it wants to do spooky stuff, that also works. You know, mm. it was actually I mean, it's something that they did with that um, Resi 5 DLC, uh, Lost in Nightmare. Yeah. No, that was you know, good. That was, you know, yeah, DLC was good. Exactly. That, and, that, and if they could do that for a whole game, you know, I'd happily play a whole, another they, whole game they of that. They paired that back. Yeah. You know, they, they, basically, they basically tried not to, to make it quite as ambitious maybe and it, yeah. it, 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 well, the, so the they, DLC for Resident Evil 5 knew exactly what it wanted exactly, to be yeah. it was like okay this slice is going to be like a pure action shooter this slice is going to be like a survival horror classic they they nailed both DLC is such a great opportunity to do cool yeah. stuff and that was one of the, the few games I mean there's not many games that really take their DLC and say okay we're going to do something completely different and we know exactly what it is mm. you got Red Dead Redemption mm. did the Undead Nightmare thing which was great uh, Minerva's Den was really good in Bioshock 2 and again, right up there with both of them is Resident Evil 5's DLC. Yeah, shame just, the actual main regular campaign didn't. Yeah, I just think that. I think like you know the heart and soul of Resi is you know Resi 4 is one of the all time greats, but you know Resi's purest heart and soul I still think is like Ghost House. It's abandoned. Yeah. It is survival horror. It's horror. You know, it scares fundamentally. You know, Return to a City is kind of like Raccoon City. Yeah, I mean, though. That's, that's the thing. I think that stuff. I think that I think that that Leon. That's the Leon S. Kennedy strategy. Yeah, there's the thing where Kennedy's going down the um, the subway tunnels yeah and like that you could can be... see the the, shit, the zombies casting shadows and they're yeah. scurrying along you know that's that's, that's the that's idea good, I mean, that's, that's good resi shit and that's the little buzz you get from watching that resi 6 trailer i think is that you know you kind of see the street and there's cars on fire and you see you can see all the way down the street and there's mm. zombies roaming around and you're like yeah that's how raccoon city should have looked or would have looked if it was done now and, yeah. and it's that i think that's the little spark which no matter what you think about the trailer for resi 6 you've got to be sort of a little bit excited for you know mm-hmm. imagine that Resi 2 as think, a Resi 4 um, action game Ooh. I think if um, if Capcom are playing it safe which is something they absolutely have to do because they, I don't think like Mike you were saying earlier quite rightly pointing out they did redefine Resi 4 and, uh, and change it twice and, yeah. and it, it became it became like a, a turning point in, in that sort of survival horror game and it was a big turning point in the series they can't games. afford to do that now no. They don't have the resource to scrap it well, off. I was thinking so they need that. to you make could... a best of. So I, I honestly think I think what, what Matt was saying as well, in terms of like capturing the classic resi, we're gonna get a lot of classic resi beats. They they are this Resi Six has to work for Capcom. They put a lot of money into it. They're uh, they're not as dominant as they used to be. This game has to be huge for them. So not only are they going to be upping the action, they are going to take us back to places people fondly remember from yeah. classic residents. That's, that's a great point, actually, about about Capcom not being the force that they once were. I mean, 
I guess when they launched Resi 4, they were still pretty huge, weren't no, they? They were, they were mm, massive, you know. they're on top of the world. Whereas since then, it's really been... I tell you what, if you look at the cast, the guys making that game, it's a right old Motley crew. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real Motley crew. It's, it's, you got the guy who was, the, I think, the director on Zack and Wiki. It's a good game. It is a good game, but it's <laughs> yeah, a funny yeah. guy to put in charge of Resident Evil. Yeah. You've got a guy whose last Resident Evil game was Resident Evil Outbreak, which was the PS2 online mm. game. You've got... Um, You've got the lead programmer from Resident Evil 5, but not Jun Takeuchi. He's completely been yanked off the project altogether, so who knows what he's doing right now. That's Planet 3. <laughs> but, you know, this, if you look at all of the names on there... Takeuchi hasn't made a good game for a long time. A long time. No. And, you know, Capcom, I was thinking about this the other day, and, I, you know, when you start going through the list of people who work for Capcom now, they're a studio without stars. They have no superstars. And, you know, from a Western point of view, we're kind of like, well, is that really a big deal? But in Japan, games tend to be led by one studio head, mm. like really like led a by yeah. a real visionary. Mm, yeah. And yeah. the reason, right, let's not forget, the reason Metal Gear Solid Rising got moved to Platinum and became Metal Gear Rising is because Kojima's team, as Kojima put, himself said, they didn't have a director who was capable of leading the project. He said it needed a powerful director. He said to his own director, who's wheeled out on this video, the poor guy, to, he had to sit stand there and humbly say, yes, I wasn't able to actually lead this project. I'm really sorry about that, Mr. Kojima. This uh, guy had to come out, and he said he went to Kojima's office, justified the decisions they were making, and Kojima said, no, we need a visionary on this project, and we haven't got one in the studio, apart from me, and I'm too busy to do something. That's harsh. Imagine being that guy. Yeah. But that's mm. kind of the way it works over there. Mm. On the Yakuza games uh, for PS3, you've got... Mm. Uh, you've got... Uh, Nagoshi. Nagoshi, yes, thank you. For Street Fighter, you've got Ono. Mm. You, even on the Tekken games, you've got Harada. Harada. You've got mm. all of these guys who absolutely lead these projects. And they lend, with their name, they lend it gravitas as well. I mean, that's exactly why they put Kojima's name on Castlevania. Because mm. if you've got a bunch of chancers, who, which is what Mercury Steam were coming off the mm. back of Jericho, you put Kojima at the top of it and you say, you can trust these guys mm. because look who's overseeing them. And it's, but it's, you look at Resi 6... There's no one you trust overseeing mm. the game. No. <laughs> that doesn't mean it's going to be bad. They're just relying from, on the name, I guess. Of, from, uh, yeah, from, from the outside, you look at it and you go, mm. really? Mm. But but that could be a good thing because they're going to have to hit hit the resi law and the the sort of the resi rose-tinted spectacles really hard. Yeah. Mm. So, they're going to be punching those rose-tinted spectacles right down your eyeballs. Yeah, punch it into the next It's a brilliant thing, actually, with uh, with Revelations. There's a funny little story about the um, the guy who's like the main like level like world designer for, for that Resident Evil Revelations. I don't know if he's involved with Six or not. Was saying in a, this Awata Asks interview with him, he said, oh, I really, um, he said, my original idea, he said, I wanted to do a haunted house at sea, so I had a floating house. And then they were like, what? <laughs> that's, that's your worst idea. And he's like, what you're describing is a boat. Because you know, the game is set on a boat. But he was like, no, let's just have a big house that like, floats on the sea. And you're like, mm. you know, that's, that's, that's where the kind of resi team is currently at mentally. You yeah. know? But so, it's not all set on a boat, is it? Don't no, it's not. It goes to a thing. I just like the idea of him going, people like the Spencer Mansion, and I really like the sea. So I'll just put one. <laughs> On the other one, and you're like, mm, it's sort of. Really I mean, it's work. obviously a, a redonkulous idea, but <laughs> yeah. but it's sort of quite in, in, interesting. It's a donkey conquering you know. idea. I don't know. You could what, sort a big of, house, like a floating house, like a floating. I don't know. Like it's been set. Like it was on. It was perched for, for imagine it. It's perched on the ed, edge of like a <laughs> like a peninsula or something. Yeah, yeah. And the penin- there's like a earthquake or something, and then it gets set adrift. 
Oh, so it's just floating on a lump of rock. Yeah. Oh, I could see like a little island. Well, you know what? Last, uh, if you if you remember last year during when there was the tsunami in Japan, they mm. literally had entire buildings just floating off down the street. But I just it, think it, it's the idea. Visually, of- it could have been like. Very interesting. Well, like it would be interesting being in a house that's kind of like rocking. And, yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. having like the idea of a haunted house, which is then flooding with like water. Yeah, it'd be at good times. if the bits like but, broke off halfway yeah. through the game. Yeah, but you can imagine it's quite. Dynamic. They didn't do that. Mm. I, I take it back. Actually, it's a really. I'm, I'm really upset they didn't go with that. Now, yeah. now that we've talked about so, it. So, um, <laughs> if, if Capcom are listening, Resi Seven, right? <laughs> yeah. We want it. We want floating a house off. at sea, floating, floating around the ocean. With bits falling off and perhaps it's a bit like Bioshock. I've got um, sort of I, like Bioshock. This but, is going to scary. I'm going to take us on a little journey right now, but it's going to come back around Resident Evil. Right? right, okay. I think I found the most disgusting um, subreddit on Reddit. Right. It's the uh, the Metal Gear Solid subreddit. Right, where they have the it's just nothing but apologetic sycophants on there. People who for whom because you can do no wrong. And the story in recent, the, the, the Metal Gear games are just an absolutely a work of art and, mm. and, and so on. Now, these guys, they, they love Metal Gear. And they, there was an interview which went up yesterday on Hardcore Gaming 101 with the translator of uh, Metal Gear Solid 2. Yeah. Um, this woman who did actually quite a good job with, given the limited materials handed to her. She didn't even have screenshots from the game or any art from the game. She was just given a big Word document and going to translate that. Mm. And she fought for a lot of things along the way. She tells stories about how she said, like, the word sneak just sounds bad. In mm. English, that is a bad word. It's not a good word. It's, it's a, a cumbersome word in the context you're using. Can we change that? You're absolutely adamant. No, you can't change that. But she changed a lot of other things. She said it's actually really hard to make Metal Gear dialogue any good because it's coming from such a cliched place. Mm. It's like it's a soldier who was bred for warfare and mm. he was betrayed by his own government and it's, it's incredibly cliched. And the whole thing is essentially just a big collection of tropes t- torn from movies that Kojima liked. And he said that himself. He mm. said that in an interview with Games TM a while back that Mel Solid 2 is very much just him throwing a load of ideas at the screen. It almost seems he doesn't really respect the game himself. Mm. But... The, uh, this community absolutely came out against this girl, you know, saying she, this, this woman, this, this, she's uh, out of her mind. Kojima's story is beyond reproach. His storytelling is immaculate and so on. The fact is she made some really good points and she told a really interesting story about this game. And the most interesting thing she said was, why doesn't Hideo Kojima make games about Japan? Mm. He knows Japan. He lives in Japan. When Nakashiro Nagoshi makes games, he sets them in Tokyo because he loves Tokyo. Tokyo, his city. They're all set in Tokyo. Yakuza, even his um, binary domain shooter, is set in a future Tokyo. It's what he knows, and it comes from a very honest place. But when Kojima makes a game, he makes it about America. Now, he knows about America in that he's seen movies about America, and he's been there a few times, Mm. but he doesn't live there. He's not of the culture. He's not of the place. And when you play Resident Evil games, this is me bringing it back around. Oh, okay, I see this. This always set in, in this case, Spain, uh, Resident Evil 4. In, you've got this one new one. You've got an American city. You've got a Chinese city. You've got a city in Eastern Europe, by the looks of things, by the looks of the architecture and so on. And this comes back to what you were saying about it never feels... It has that kind of melodrama that doesn't feel authentic in any way. Mm. Why don't they set a Resident Evil game in Japan? There's, there's no no good answer for that because a Resident Evil game set in Tokyo would be brilliant. Well, not even Tokyo. Think about 
few like it's drawing on yeah. recent events you look at there's a whole section of Japan that's abandoned right now yeah. there's entire towns that had to really were, were irradiated and abandoned and they were flooded then irradiated then everybody left there and right now there are dogs and animals roaming through the ruins of these places just you know trying to survive there's still some people who just refuse to leave saying this is my home I'm staying it's here quite, it's quite possible the next resi will be I mean, they've got to have time to react to it. It was only last year. Yeah. The funny thing is, um, and this is, uh, gonna, I think, going to be evident in the next generation. There's been a big movement in Japan over the last 12 months. People have been talking very differently, Japanese developers. I mean, those are the guys we have the most contact with in Japan. But they all keep saying things like, I'm proud to come from Japan. Uh, and I think our games industry should it used, to, it used to mean made in Japan used to mean you're getting the best games in the world and we've lost that and we need to get it back again the top guys from Platinum are saying it Kojima's saying it Nagoshi's saying it they're all saying this thing and all of a sudden there's this like deep national pride that's come out of this disaster it's kind of brought people together and I think we're going to see the next generation of games reflecting that in a big way I think we will and we've seen it this generation with um, with all the American teams post 9-11 mm-hmm. yeah we've seen a lot of um a lot of sort of American invasion games and the sort of almost a sense, you know, a lot of sort of terrorism games. And, and you know, Home, Homefront is sort of the, the main example. And it didn't turn out to be a particularly good game. Mm. But Homefront was the ultimate reaction to 9-11. It was, you know, it's an America completely occupied. And the game was four hours long. But the, the occupied version of America, if not the people who had uh, occupied it, was was quite chilling and quite well thought out, and the one the one redeeming feature I I pull out of Homefront was its world was was chillingly convincing, and Homefront was made by the only console developer that was based in New York, mm. and now they've 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 closed down because obviously it's ex- extremely expensive to make games there, um, and and it's almost like they were sort of at the epicenter of, of America's thinking post nine eleven, and I think you're absolutely right in that after Japan, after the, the tsunami in Japan and the fact that the country has had to come together and pull together, we're going to see a lot of Japanese games sort of coming out of that, that sort of sentiment of, of community and, you know, perhaps post-disaster, we're going, we, you know, we're going to see a few sort of reactions to that. I, I think, the, you know, the Japanese games industry is, is down a bit right now, but I think it's coming back in the next gen. I definitely. think so too. I think, uh, I think the new Resident Evil could mm. possibly be part of the vanguard of that, mm. uh, along with Metal Gear Rising. Yeah. Uh, Yakuza 5, I think it will be, yeah. the next Yakuza mm-hmm. game. That will be a, that will be a, a cracking game, yeah. Yakuza 5. It's a shame it's a I, PS3 just, exclusive. Well, it might, m- maybe it will be, but might not, because, you know... Negoshi's working the, on binary domains on Xbox. The games have always been funded by, part in part by Sony is the thing. They have, but Nagoshi set up his own studio now. So I, I don't know, may, maybe that'll influence it. I, th- I, th- I think if the Accuser games came to Xbox, that would be, We'd love to see that would be a brilliant thing. And maybe it's something Microsoft needs to seriously consider when they're launching the next Xbox in Japan. They need to get some big games on the, on the system. They need you to know, get some big Japanese games on the system. They've done a pretty good job of attracting uh, talent to mm. the ex-Japanese talent to the machine. Mm. What they've done a terrible job of is, is attracting Japanese consumers to the thing. Mm. Yeah. And like, if you're this, this, like, if you're living in Japan and you're a games developer, and you know that if you make this game on this platform, none of your friends are going to play it, mm. why would you make that game? Mm. I guess the thing is, you know, like you say, at the start of Xbox 360's life, they attracted what's his face from I can't think of his name from Mistwalker. Oh, Sakaguchi. I mean, mm. he was he was huge. You know, he was like a he's huge, the he's the number one. Yeah, he was he's, Mister Mister yeah. Final Fantasy. And, I mean, that did nothing. They ruined him. Yeah, they? it just did nothing, you know. It, it, uh, so, so, you know, like you say, they have, they have got a track record, Microsoft, of actually trying to actively engage 
and get on board Japanese developers, but mm. it's just a it's just a cultural thing. And I think you know this generation we have seen a sort of swing slightly towards Japanese developers wanting more of the Western pie. That's the right analogy. <laughs> Big Western money pie. Yeah, yeah. you know mm. because we've seen we've seen a lot of them bringing games out which are direct riffs on stuff like Gears of War. Um, but but yeah, I, I don't know. I think you're probably that's a really good point Andy makes. You know, maybe maybe we are about to see a sort of renaissance for for, for Japanese games. It would be great if we did because you know, growing up, you know, when I was growing up, Japanese games were like the it was made in Japan, business, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's it, done, you know, sold. As soon as you got, as soon as you, as soon as they landed, you knew they were going to be good. Mm. And and these days, I'm not quite so sure about them. You know, yeah. which is really sad. Well. Coming back, but um, I went to, went to quite a serious place, didn't it? You did, yeah. It was good. What have you been playing? What what have I been playing? I've been playing The Darkness. The Darkness mm, 2. two. That, that's the second Darkness game, not the so first one. So I played this game at uh, Gamescom last year, and mm. the game, the demo I played at Gamescom is the demo that's right now on Live Arcade, mm. uh, Live Marketplace. Um, if you haven't downloaded it, you should go and download it. That's the opening level it's the with, opening. The, with the restaurant. And yes, then... it's kind of, uh, I think it's, a, is it in order? Is it absolutely in order? Or they, uh, so they, so you, you go in the restaurant and then you, you, get, you get sort of, it, there's an explosion, you get knocked out of the restaurant, the darkness mm. takes you over and then you take to the streets and start killing people. <laughs> yeah. yeah. As yeah. you do. Uh, but you, it's, it's, all the way, you cut in between you, have it on being crucified by this guy the whole time. Yeah, and there's no, there's no other, because well, I haven't played the demo is, is there any? Um, do you go to the? Uh, you go into a subway. The, the special lady nightclub. No. After that, no. Right, you, okay. you go into a subway, fight <laughs> your way through there. So yeah, that's special um, lady nightclub. The the level itself is the first level from the darkness. Yeah. Yeah, I just. Yeah. As opposed to it's a, a lady, it's a whorehouse matter, but I didn't spe- want to. Is this what you call them? The special ladies. <laughs> well, very I was, special. I was, I was trying not to. Yeah, uh, very special to you. I was trying not to uh, upset I your call delicate them the ears. Special ladies. So okay, look. So, but this, the, uh, the the flashbacks where you're getting crucified that isn't that isn't sort of chronological. That that sort of is interspersed throughout the rest of the game. Darkness comes back. Uh, it's going to be out in a couple of weeks. Darkness, uh, yeah, and it's it's really good. Yeah, surprisingly. What, ha- so. what happened? It was actually good. I I, I don't know what what they've done is. Um, <laughs> were, you, were you a fan of the first game? Or? I was. Yeah, right. yeah I love the first one. I love the first one, and I finished it. But that's why you should didn't. hate the sequel, right? It because is, yeah. loving the first one should preclude any enjoyment of the sequel, because the sequel is a straight shoot 'em up. It's just an all out. It's uh, to coin a phrase, a balls to the wall shooter. It's just like you pull guns, you start firing. You shoot your way through the level, level's over, cutscene. There, there isn't actually move, a move where you, you rip someone's balls off and nail them to the wall. But, the, you know, there's, there's far worse. So, um, <laughs> Tell but, me what about the execution. But the, um, I, I, we'll come to the execution right. in a minute. <laughs> the, um, the, the, the reason why, you, you know, it's nothing like the first game. The first game was a very sort of emotional, it was, it was a very well-told story wrapped up in a not-so-good shooter. And the level design was a bit... It was a bit weird because it, none of it really felt like it was meant to be set in New York and you're just hopping on and off the subway. And Obviously, there was a big, there was a lot of sort of emotional twists in the first game and, um, and a lot of sort of character development. And it was quite slow. The second game, as Mike points out, is a very, very... It, it's a very sort of bloody shooter. I mean, it's... You, you're going, to say the least. Yeah. It's the bloodiest it's, shooter. It, the, you, your darkness powers have, uh, have been replaced with... Uh, quite quite simply, one trigger does a, a tentacle arm slash in which you can slash people in half. 
The other one does a grab. And when, when you've grabbed an enemy, you can do what you like to them, like an execution, which... Tell us about the execution, uh, Andy. It, actually, it seems like you're building towards like, it. Is I'm, it actually I'm called towards, that in the game? It's or? called an execution in the game. It's, it's, not, a great, great it's not a great turn of phrase. It's not, it's not, it's, it doesn't it's, quite it's, work. It's, it's, it is a perfect, perfect it, description yeah, of what happens. Yeah, I was going to say. It describes it perfectly, and yet it's not a great pun. No. no. It's, not, it's a not a pun that would pass the Xbox so, World Test. <laughs> so what, what happens with the execution is uh, if you, you grab someone by their leg, you suspend them by their leg, by one leg, with one darkness tentacle. The other darkness tentacle comes over the top, reaches in through the, the this guy's ass, <laughs> and pulls, pulls out his spinal column with the skull attached through his ass. But he has a couple of goes at it, right? He does. He, he goes in, oh, pulls it out, and then he loses his enough. grip on it, so he comes back for another go and yeah. then finally yanks it out. Yeah. Is that it's, something that happens a lot? It's possibly the so, most humiliating way to die that, ever. That reminds oh, yeah. me of something that happened in Viva Piñata. <laughs> No, it doesn't. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it's um, it, it's it's disgusting. The whole game itself is is disgusting. It's really it's juvenile. Violent. It's but it, it is it juvenile. Is, it's satisfying as yeah. well. Like ho holding someone up and hacking them to bits with a demon arm. You know, it's not it, it it doesn't tally with an emotionally delicate story. Although the story in the darkness is is surprisingly good. And at the start, you think. Oh God! You know they're they're wheeling out Jenny again because Jenny was his girlfriend in the first game. If you don't know, no, what you're happened still to her, Jackie. You still you still Jack Estacado, and it, you know I'm not going to spoil it for you here if you haven't played the first game. The statue of but look look, is over look it up on now. well well look it up online anyway if you're interested if you you know if you want to know what happens it's it's quite significant and but but she's back in the second game in some some form or other and you think you think at the start oh God. You know, it's it's another developer. They've seen what was great about the first game, so they've trotted it out again, and they're making a load more mileage out of it because that's what everyone talks about. It's all about this guy and his girlfriend, and they're just they're just you know they're making this ludicrous story out of it. And it seems like that for the first few hours, but as you as it builds through, it, you know, the story becomes incredibly interesting and a lot more considered than you first thought it was, which leads up to um, one one part where you have a change of scenery. I'm not going to spoil it. It's, it's quite, you know, you're not, you're not it makes you stop. Yeah, you're not back in World War I again. No, no, it's a, lot, it's a lot better than more game. considered than that. And, and, that, and the way these two stories start to intertwine leads to an ending that um, a lot of people will enjoy and, and it's worth playing through the game to get to that, to get to that ending. Is Jenny again, getting execution? <laughs> 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 Accident, <No>. Accidentally <laughs> asecuter. Um, <laughs> Your mother. And... There's 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 two endings to the game. It's not a spoiler to give that away, and there's obviously there's a there's a canon ending and one that's that's will be considered a non-canon ending, and I think the non-canon ending is the best. Mm, I, I think it's a lot. I want to play it now. The I, thing I think it raises a lot more questions than the canon ending, which is slightly. Does the canon ending involve a cannon? Yeah, it involves you well, and Jenny being fired out, out of a cannon. cannon. <laughs> is, that is that what you mean by a cannon ending? Oh, the yeah. thing I enjoy most about the darkness isn't uh, in any way story-related. I'm going to drag it back to its most base level. I just think it's a real treat for the senses. It mm. looks really nice. It's colourful. It's mm. really vibrant mm. in a way. They call it graphic noir, which is kind of a, a wanky way of saying it. it's like a posh cell shading. Yeah. Instead of being like flat, you know, very flat, plain polygons. They actually have like real textures, but they're all real bold colours. Now, apparently, those guys really worked 
on a hardware, a software solution for that. They were just going to do some shaders that actually mm. made the game look that way. Didn't work. So instead, they spent 18 months just developing, mm. like just doing all the art assets they needed to make this, this work. Digital Extremes have been like the masters of the 7 out of 10, you know, the 6 and 7 out of 10 games like Pariah, games like uh, Dark Sector. Dark old, uh, Sector. Hayden Tenno. Hayden Tenno. <laughs> yeah. the, um, Do you um, Hayden that? Tenno and his magical glaive. They've, they've made a lot of these, uh, <laughs> these 6 out of 10 games and what they've finally done with The Darkness 2 is they've actually they've got all these bits right. They've, someone working on that game, maybe everyone working on that game, really loved working on that game mm. and it comes across... Every time you pull the trigger on the gun, every time you look at the world from a different angle, every time you hear the game, it, it, everything about it is a treat for the senses. And you know, to be a bit wanky about it, it really is like a treat for the senses because you pull the trigger on a gun, and the guns are so good in that game, better than any gun I've ever pulled on any shooter. You really feel it. You get that explosion in your hand. It actually feels like a gun. <laughs> Oh, don't, don't do Sorry. it, don't do it. Don't. You took it to a, you took it to a wank joke. <laughs> no, I didn't. Matt, you, you, you did in your in your head a little Matt, wank Matt, joke. Was Matt's got a, a snake uh, exclamation mark above his head when you were talking about that. Yeah. Ring euphemism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it explodes in your hand, not unlike a cock, and. Um, <laughs> And then, whatever you watch, whatever direction you oh. look at the world in, whatever angle you look at, it's going to look good. So it's mm. like a treat for your eyes as well. And then you've got every time you kill somebody or you know you do something unspeakable like an execution, you've got Mike Pan doing the darkness, rasping in your ear, like rasping its approval. And all of these things are like you know the sound is there, the the feel is there, the graphics, and it's just a real. It just feels and looks. It's just a quality product. You know? it's, yeah, it's, it's not. It's not going to. Not going to break any new ground, but it, it does what it does extremely well. It's just it's going to break a few asses. Though. Very, yeah, it'll break <laughs> yeah. a lot of asses. Is it? Because um, one of the problems I sort of thought might might come up in this in the darkness too is there's just so much like you got a couple of guns, you got your darkness, you got your darkling, and that was like my sort of problem with the with the first one in a lot mm. of ways. You had like you had more darklings in the first one, didn't you? Yeah, you, yeah. Only, you only got one in this one, and, and it was cool. just like there's lots. <laughs> to... He wears a skin cat on his head. Oh, he's an idiot. <laughs> He's, he's the one big misstep. But the, the darkness is supposed to be an annoying thing. It's supposed to, it's supposed to get on Jackie's nerves. Yeah. Is it still got that scary was, voice? What were you saying? I was just saying yeah. I didn't know whether there was like too too many like too many things to kind of and it ended up getting watered down. So you got your darkness and they can do this and then you can shoot and then you got guns and then you got your darkling going off going you know and it's like oh it needs a bit of focus and that was what I was worried about was whether it would be by trying to be like a shooter plus yeah. you know it might become it emphasised the whole quad wielding thing so they're, much in the lead um, up yeah. to the game they're, they're essentially just sort of extensions of killing but they people. kind of complement one another well they do they? Yeah, yeah like you, what you can do with the, the darkling really doesn't interfere much um, it, it's there There are a few sections where you actually play as him they're a bit bum um, he, he doesn't interfere much what you can do you can pick him up and throw him at enemies to distract them while you kill someone else and you know, if you've got someone picked up with a darkness tentacle, you can shoot them with your guns. It all interacts really yeah. nicely. Has it still got that sneaking element, the kind of getting rid of the dark, the light and kind of hiding? Very, in a very sort of cursory way. There's not... Mm. It's, it's not the be-all and end-all, to be honest. You, you shoot out lights. If, if you're in... And if you don't shoot out the lights, your darkness powers aren't mm. with you and you don't regenerate health. Right. It's got a sort of semi-regenerating health thing going on where... You've got four four blocks of health, and um, you regenerate up to the end of a block, and you can restore blocks by eating people's hearts. 
with the darkness. <laughs> Just like in real do. life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Is it still so work? yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not very confusing. It, it gets a little bit confusing when because you do have a lot of options in really really frantic fights. So instead of picking up a gun, for example, you might pick up a plant pot mm. and throw it at someone. <laughs> Yeah. Which, which is annoying. Well, you might swap your gun because it's the same. It's button, the darkness version of the gravity gun. Yeah. Essentially, you're all, you're just you're dicking around with physics, yeah. picking up like like a lamppost and slinging it through someone's head. But it all it all complements each other. All all the powers complement each other fairly well. Um, I mean, one one point, like the guys at, at Starbreeze made like after the darknesses, after they made the original darknesses, they had all these great ideas for the powers. But one of them, which is the the black hole, you barely get to use. Mm. They sort of they've taken that element and. Yeah, that's they, why they've just they've streamlined it quite a lot, and there's there's a lot going on, but the, you know it, it all works together. That's why I sort of asked because in the first game it seemed like the tentacles were very. I mean, I didn't finish a darkness; I only only played mm. for a couple of hours, but uh, but it, just, it felt like the, the the tentacles were very separate to your your guns. You know, it was either yeah, one were. or the other you used. You know, whereas this one seems to. The, the way they interact, obviously, through the executions and stuff seems a lot more... Yeah, in, in a way, like in the first game, the tentacles were like glorified key cards. You knew that yeah. to, to access the next bit of the level, you had to use this particular tentacle power. Whereas in, in this one, it's it's just... It's all action, so all, all the tentacles are there to do is kill and maim. So, <laughs> and and um, what else do you need them for, really? You know. Well, exactly. I mean, the darkness... It's a, it's a it's a very very honest shooter, like mm. Mike was saying. Yeah, it's six or seven hours of butchery. Yeah, and it's very satisfying. It's you know, uh, you, there's some there's some sort of wanky analogy to made about to make about it feeding the darkness inside the player. But mm. you know, you t- you know exactly <laughs> what you're getting. You turn this up, is an edge you, mur- you murder yeah. people in in really horrible ways, and you have fun doing it. Brilliant, Matt. And those guys are making... Um, what are you playing? Those guys are making Star Trek now, worth pointing out. Yeah. So they're taking, again, someone else's oh, license and making a yeah, game that's it. right, yeah. Could be quite good now. Oh, all, all of a sudden, a bit more demon yeah, all, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it's an exciting game. Mm. I think yeah. Kirk will be performing executions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> With one of those horrible Klingon weapons. I'm sure they can do that. He's done worse to alien ladies. Oh, <laughs> oh God. Jesus. That's God disgusting. Right. Andy Hart has gone dark. That's just not logical. So what have you been playing apart from uh, Resident Evil Revelations? Uh, I've been playing uh, Kingdoms of Amalur. Ugh. Reckoning. Reckoning. Or as you're meant to pronounce it, <laughs> really Kingdoms of Amalur. Tell us about the songs. The songs. Just jump straight in with the songs. Uh, it's got these awful, uh, awful folk songs in it, Sounds which good. it's um, basically it's a big open world RPG, kind of like uh, I describe it as like an arcade Skyrim because it's not as deep, but it's it's as big, but it's quite shallow and quite sort of fast and just kind of sort of loose with it all. But it has uh, these sort of audio logs, which are these lore stones, and when you go up to them, it triggers these god awful folk songs, which is kind of like someone strumming a mandolin or whatever in the background. So it's like bring, bring, and then you get a guy who sort of speaks singing. So it's kind of like, let me tell you of the time the trolls came no. from the mountain. <laughs> but Sounds like he's from New York. No, but, but it's the thing. They're all Americans doing like bad, brilliant, bad Irish, British kind of this proper like lorks, lorksy, lorksy right, f- okay. fantasy build. Right. You know, it's um, and there's a lot of it. Um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a strange game. I have a very strange relationship with with Kingdoms of Amalur because I've been I've played it for an, you know a huge amount of time. I've actually played it more than I've played Skyrim. Um, mainly for review purposes, because I thought I should 
you know, put in the time and everything. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, yeah, but you were in that. Uh, yeah, I definitely. Yeah, yeah. That one page of freelance. Never ever review of RPGs. No. That is the golden rule of yeah. Games Magazine <laughs> creation. Do not be the guy who is good at RPGs because it sucks. Um, yeah, so it's it's this huge game, and its big thing is that it's uh, it's got like a very kind of fast and 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 uh, responsive combat system. Mm. You know, it's sort of based roughly on on sort of God of War or kind of like dark, even Dark Siders. Kind of feels quite like you know, so it's very fast on its feet. So it's an RPG like Skyrim, except the battles are kind of ferocious arcade battles. Lots of dodging and blocking, which is fine in a seven to eight hour game you know you're like oh yeah i can sort of button mash my way through you know all those greek myths and god of war or whatever but when it's stretched into like you know which it literally talking probably about like a hundred hour thing here and you know all told i mean the thing is huge i think it's just the world seems to me as big as skyrim but it's a funny world right because the game was originally intended to be an mmo yeah and it feels to me like they've hung on to yeah, all of their MMO map design. Looks, yeah, it looks it's like kind of it looks a bit like World of Warcraft. It's really garish, it looks ass. <laughs> oversaturated. Yeah, yeah, it's really like garish. Like each area is very clearly defined. So they've sort of said that this area is the haunted bog. So like it'll be kind of like all grey and brown, and the next area will be like the spider woods. So it's all trees with webs on. So very clearly defined, and they're also kept in the world while huge is. Split. I bet there's a giant spider in them woods. In the web woods. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. You go to this town, they're like... What's in there. But, no, but they say that. There's, <laughs> I mean, there's literally, every town person has like a theory on what's going on in the web woods. And you're like, well, let's just, you know, let's just break down the name of the web woods for a second here. And you also, know? it's a woods full of webs. webs. They're like spiders. Like we used to be a lion. No, I'm yeah, sure it's not going to be a lion. <laughs> no, that, that stuff's weak. But it's uh, the, the way the world actually works is it's chopped into lots of little areas, almost kind of like sort of the zones you get in mm, MMOs. Instances. Yeah, yeah sort of mm. split with corridors, so it's loading up secretly the next bit while you're going down these corridors. So you never kind of go, "Wow, look at this world stretching before me," because you only ever see your little self-contained area. And that's it's it's kind of fun in a way because you know they're very. Um, because they're so self-contained, they can make each area feel like its own little adventurous area. So if they want to have like a big spooky castle area, you know, they can gear all the art towards that. And if they want to have a big red hot searing desert, you can have that next to an ice world. Where like Skyrim, you know, or, or any of the kind of Bethesda kind of games, they, they have that kind of logic. So it all has to work mm. as a landmass would. You can't just turn the corner and all of a sudden there's a volcano. Yeah. You know, because that's bullshit. But mm. this, the, the way this, this does have that, you know, so it, it, that's kind of fun. And I think the reason I've played so much of it, apart from that I'm a very thorough reviewer and I don't want to get fired, um, is that it's so light and so sort of fake in the way it's built its world that you can literally drop in and out of it. So it's a huge RPG, probably one of the only RPGs I've ever played where I can go away for a week, come back, and I'm like, oh yeah, I know exactly how to play this again because I've got a button that's combat, Mm. I've got a dodge button, I can pick this up whenever I want. Well, Skyrim I can't, I'm back in Skyrim and like... I'm like, oh, I'm drinking this potion, then like my arm it's turns bad. into a badger or something. You know, I don't know how that game works. Like, it, it confuses is that a good me. Thing, or is that a bad thing? I think it's a really interesting counterpoint to Skyrim. Whether or not it's it's good for everyone, because most people love Skyrim because it's a world that you disappear into. You know, and that's what you want from an RPG. You know, it's role playing. That that's what it's about. But at the same time, I think that game can be too big and too challenging and too ask for too much investment of some people. You know, it's in the office, there are people... I'm not a huge Skyrim fan for that reason. You know, mm. it's, it's... The closest thing I'd compare it to, actually, is Fable 2. 
you know, I'm a huge fan of Fable 2. I did the Xbox World Review way back in the day. And, and I said back then, you know, this feels to me like the antidote to oblivion. You know, it's a world I can be in, but it's only like 20 hours. You know, it's quite fun. It's accessible. There's not like... I don't feel like I'm not playing it properly to ignore all the lore and the books because it's not there, you know, so you can just sort of get on with it. And I, I do like that element of it. I just don't think it's kind of deep enough to sustain, you know, 50 hours. So, and I played it for, like, over 30, so... Big question, would you recommend it to someone who's got Skyrim? Because a lot of people have bought Skyrim. If Skyrim's your favourite game ever, probably not, because you're not going to like what it's doing to Skyrim. And interesting, it's actually designed by the lead designer of Oblivion, uh, Ken Rolston, who left Bethesda to set up big, huge games. So it's his, this is his, like, this is, he, he sees this as his like response to the games he was making you know he's like i am now going to make this is where i want to take the rpg i think this is what's missing is that rpgs aren't like immediate like an action game and this is immediate you know it's got big finishers and it's quite it's quite not visually impressive because the graphics are a little bit but the actual kind of like when you finish a big boss you know you lock their head off in a really cool kind of quick time event or whatever where in you know skyrim even like the most impressive thing the sort of falls over when you're done with it because also over and yeah but, but it can't because that's what would happen you know, it hasn't mm. got that cinematic kind of feel because that's not what it's going for well this is a little bit more focused and i like that i'd say if you tried skyrim and absolutely hated it like it didn't didn't tick your boxes but you want to get your money's worth from a world you know you can do far worse than amala but it's not it's not the second coming it's could have done could have done with a catchy name couldn't it yeah, I mean, that's the, I mean, that's another part well, of it. Presumably they'll, like, change the reckoning part of it, I see. Yeah, I mean, they've written this, like, the, the, the story behind it is they've got this fancy author to write this, like, 10,000-year uh, history of the world, and this is, like, a tiny sliver of it, but, like, it is deep, and it's, there is so much stuff. Every character you meet tells you everything about themselves and their history, and that that's more like... In fact, I think there's probably more of that kind of guff than there is in Skyrim, which is odd, because then the actual quests are so shallow. Yeah, it's interesting that they've decided to... He, he's decided that the way, the way forward is to kind of strip down the RPG to its kind of mm. barest essentials and, and in order to get people, I guess, who, who find RPGs intimidating. Like Elder Scrolls, personally, I can admire Elder Scrolls for, for what it does, mm. and I like watching people play it, but for me, it's too, it's too, too intimidating. Yeah. It's far too intimidating. I said that, though. You're playing one of the biggest games in the world pretty much exclusively right now, right? Forza. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, well, that is a massive time sink. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been playing. I mean, when did I? When came were we out, talking came about? Came out that? in what, October. October. And yeah, you've been playing in nothing but since. Yeah, so the, so I suppose I'm. I suppose. Mm. But for, with Forza, you know, you can do it in like tiny little chunks. You can just do like a little race. Whereas with with scrolls, it's like it's like a journey across the world. Yeah. And you know, you 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 know, you get people on the way going, hey, over here, look, you can do this for me, and, and you know. I mean, a guy you can't do a quest in Skyrim without getting another five quests. Yeah, exactly. You know, whereas with Forza, you can do it in nice little manageable chunks. Yeah. You know, so. But anyway, yeah, it's interesting that he's decided that's the way he sees yeah. RPGs going. Because for me, you know, people who buy RPGs are a very defined kind of segment of the games playing audience, and those people they want that kind of mm. all in 
completely sucked in, massive world. They like the whole five quests on the way to doing this one quest kind of mm. approach, you know. So I, I struggle in my head to see how yeah. how Kingdoms of Amalur is going to be a marketed and who it's going to be. Yeah, uh, well, who it's going to appeal to? I seen you know EA don't seem to be doing a huge amount for it. And it seems you know considering the amount of game, like it's a big project behind it. I and mean, you know it had one studio and then it merged with this big. It was thirty eight studios and then it merged with this big huge games. And I think it's had something like. Like 300 people working on it it's a big game you know it's an ambitious and there's so much content in it and it does seem to me like it's getting a little buried so i feel a little kind of uh, sort of affinity with it in that it's the like the little kind of plucky underdog and you got to be a brave a brave man to release an open world rpg after skyrim i mean there seems to be a, a, a bit of buzz about it online but i mean we can only sort of measure it the litmus test for us as as journalists i think is how how much we get it pushed on us by yeah. by the publisher and I can't say that EA have at any point kind of come down and said, please, you must, I really want yeah. you to do something on record. We're getting the new IL2 Stunovic game pushed on us more than we ever got <laughs> Kingdoms of Amalur yeah. Yeah. pushed on us. That's yeah. another name with a really sellable game name. Was yeah. it now? Stermovic. Birds of Steel or something now? Slightly Steel better. Steel of yeah. Prey. Steel of Prey, that would be. <laughs> I, I, a game I don't even know the name of. It's being, it was being yeah, rammed yeah. down our throat harder and longer, faster than... Uh, uh, Kings of Amalur. Like, you should. That's the game that's being sent to die. The one thing I will say for it, it's got a really, um, a really good demo, Kingdoms of Amalur, because it basically it gives you like the opening kind of stretch it's on of tutorial. The marketplace now. Yeah, right? it's on the marketplace mm. now, and then it basically I think there's a time limit. I think it's like an hour, but it is the full game, so you can go out and it's basically as much as you can do in an hour. It's like your crackdown demo. You can do that. Yeah. What happened exactly. to good demos? Yeah. If you look at the um the if you go to your if you can find it on the new dashboard, find the demos lineup, sort by date. Just go through them, and it's like, you, once you go like six demos deep, you're looking at demos that were released in yeah. November last year. It's rubbish, isn't it? Remember when, like, remember when Xbox yeah, first yeah. came out, and it, you wouldn't go a week without getting a, a over, new big demo. Over Christmas, I went on, I went onto um, uh, onto Marketplace and had a look around the um, the demos, and it was just like, what the hell is this doing on it? Yeah, you, get, you like, know, it's like demos for Happy Feet and shit. And yeah, like it used to be, like, you'd get a demo for Lost Planet, and it would be on there like a year before the game oh, came out. Oh, it's incredible! Yeah. yeah. The um, the what's the what's the um, Dead Rising demo, which mm. popped up like a month before the game came out. Yeah, you could play that endlessly. Yeah, it's a fifteen-minute demo. You could just happily play it over and over. That's and the over thing. And like over. a good demo can do it. And I, I actually think people who play Amelia's demo might be, you know, you'll get the full idea of what the game is, and you'll go, you know, yes, this is or isn't for me. It's a bit of a bit of a weak answer to go like play it for yourself and see everyone's, but, um, so, everyone's so gutless with demos now they always yeah. preface them as well by saying this is not representative of Final yeah. Games quality it's like well then don't put the demo up there because yeah. it is representative they all are yeah, they, I've never played a demo is, that isn't yeah. representative but it all, everyone's so gutless with demos and they always say you know it's, it takes too long to build a, de mm. a dedicated demo but how many times have you gone to E3 to Gamescom where they've had a dedicated vertical slice of game a chunk of demo mm. that was just fine yeah. It played just fine. And if they said, okay, look, we're going to put this demo up on the thing, and instead of saying at the beginning, oh, this doesn't represent the gameplay, just saying that, saying, listen, this is beta code. It might crash on you. It might have some bugs. But we're putting it out there because we mm -hmm. want you to enjoy the game. We want you to have the E3 experience at home. Who would complain? Yeah. Find me someone who's going to complain. Find me someone who's going to say, that game crashed on me twice. I'm not going to buy the final game now, even though it's coming out eight months from now. Mm. If this year at E3, Microsoft rolled in and said, Halo 4 is out in uh, October and we're going to put up half a level of it on the marketplace right now. As I'm, t as I'm saying these words, it's going up mm. right now. And that's the demo that all of the people from the press are going to be playing tomorrow mm. on the show floor. Who would say, 
oh man, I tell you what, it's crashed quite a few times. Those loading times are <laughs> yeah. It's, it would be so exciting. And these demos, they do exist. Mm. They are being put on the E3 show floor. And they're just rough. And they're mm. so, they're, sometimes they're so rough that it needs someone playing it, only looking in the right directions, because if he looks that way, he's just going to see a big mess of no, like nothing polygons. Mm. And if he steps into this area, the game's going to crash. Well, obviously, you can't put that demo up. But there are demos like the Darkness demo. At Gamescom last year, it was perfectly playable. Mm. They could have put it up at Gamescom last year, but guess what? It wasn't part of the PR plan. Mm. And the PR plan has taken all of the fun out of being an Xbox owner, being a PlayStation owner, being mm. owner of any console platform. It used to be the demos you would get on the covers of magazines. The Metal Gear Solid demo, everyone remembers oh, it. Oh, that's yeah. absolute mm. classic. People, you, you, yeah. people remember playing the demo as much as they remember playing the actual yeah. game. You would get the demo and you would just sit and play it and you would get to the end of that tank hanger, you get to the, the DARPA mm. chief and you talk to him and you go, play it again. You'd start straight. Like I could tell you when that demo begins, where mm. it ends, and exactly the, the different routes I played through every mm. single time. People love that stuff, and they love it because it comes early. It feels naughty. Mm. You get it early. <laughs> you feel like you're cheating. You feel yeah, like you're yeah, getting yeah. the access to only the games journals get. Dweebs like us. Mm. Let's put that access out there. It's like this year should be the time when people say, "Okay, it's like you know we're looking forward to this mm. next generation now." Let's give people. The taste of E3. You're always putting these conferences up online, saying, "Look how great our stuff is." Now put it in people's hands. Mm. They should. Uh, they should have put up the um, Metal Gear Two demo for the HD collection. Just cut that famous demo yeah. out and just put that online. And said, "Here you go. It's that classic demo because that's like that's one of the, just, that demo play. is one of the best games I've ever played." Yeah, <laughs> you've, uh, you're playing Metal Gear at the moment, aren't you? Mike? Yeah, I'm not sure how much I really want to talk about it though. I know we were going to do like uh, go around. This is letting people behind the scenes. We're going to go around and we'll do what we've been playing. But we've talked about Metal Gear tons, mm. and everybody kind of knows the stories. Uh, Metal Gear Two is Metal Gear Solid Two is not. So great, it's Ooh, okay. I like it. Yeah, okay. But three is like the classic. Everyone, everyone knows and respects three. And Peace Walker is the best handheld game ever. It's now on your big screen. You know what? They've done a beautiful job of porting all three. Uh, is it Metal Gear Solid Two is a little bit smudgy? I've actually been playing Metal Gear Solid Three this last week. Started on uh, Monday night. It's, we're actually recording on Wednesday now. Tonight I'm going to be finishing the game. I'm, a, I'm about to spite the boss. But I know there's like 45 minutes of cutscenes coming after that, so I've decided to uh, save <laughs> in the boss time, fight. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, fought the, I fought from last night from the end all the way up to the boss. So the end is the guy at the end, not the end of the game. <laughs> and, you know, everybody always says, oh, the end's boss fight. That's, that's a great boss fight. It's... You cannot overstate how good that fight is. It's you in a giant space, and there's a guy who's looking for you, and you're looking for him, and he's a, the best sniper in the world, and you really haven't got the tools to, to get him, so you have to constantly work around behind him. And there's all these different ways you can track him down. You can track his footsteps. You can capture his parrot, let it free, and it'll, it'll fly straight back to him. So that can lead you to it as well. When it rains, the footprints wash away faster. You can use the thermal goggles to uh, to maybe search the bushes that way. You can look for the glints in the trees, you know, the, the from the, the from the lens of his scope. And you're always trying to get behind him. That's the trick. Once you're behind him, you can stay on his ass for a real long time. Hold him up, get look his camo, and Matt Castle's laughing again. I'm not laughing. He's, he's, he smells a euphemism like a fucking what fart in a car. Realize about Car what, what you've got to realise about Carson, what I've realised having sat next to him for a while now, is that he does this thing, he goes... <laughs> like with his nose. And, and he we, we and call it the derisive snort. Yeah, and I say to him, what's so funny? He's like, nothing, I haven't done anything. And he doesn't realise he's done it. No. So he probably he probably wasn't like that. You know, the, old, the old castle sniff. Yeah, so when you, get, when you hear him... Uh, 
He's not actually laughing at you. He's got, some, he's got this little tableau in his brain, yeah. which is playing out. And it's he's got he's, he's running diner in his head. He's yeah. not he's not in the podcast right now mentally. No. Yeah. So he's elsewhere yeah. in some strange Korean. He's in a Rand, film. Randy Newman so, film. <laughs> so you're always you're basically you're always trying to get to yeah. get behind this guy because if you hold him up once, you get his camo, and his camo is the best camo in the game. It's the only camo in the game which you get your hundred percent camo. Um, although after you you've beaten him you don't actually see a lot of trees for the rest of the game so actually it's not that useless and useful until you go back to the beginning and restart this someone um, on Twitter said this I can't take any credit for it uh, Roger Ebert a while ago said about Mulholland Drive he said you know it's an experiment that doesn't break the test tube a rare experiment that doesn't break the test tube that's what Metal Gear Solid 3 is it's because uh, it's most mental it's most experimental and it doesn't break the test tube. It's completely crazy, and it all holds together. If that game were the only game on the disc, and they were selling the disc for £50, you could still buy it and still get your £50 of value out of it. It's the best game. It's just one of the best games ever made. So I, I guess that's what people are going to want to know. Does it stand up? I mean, it the, feels the, the like HD it was released yesterday. Does, does it still stand up? Melga Solid 2, not so much. Just mm. because of the way it controls, the fixed camera, and that you do have to quite often keep going to first person view just to see what you're going to be facing up as soon um, Peace Walker feels very modern but looks like balls because it I was, was playing some of it last night it's but I mean when you see like a car and it's got like wheels which are completely octagonal mm. you're like oh okay this was definitely a PSP game but still a really great comic game. book cutscenes look great yeah really like what's a real shame about the comic book cutscenes they're done by Ashley Wood he did some Spawn comics back in the day and he's done a lot of other cool stuff but his cutscenes, they've used the art from the PSP version and just scaled them up yeah. rather than going back to him, getting the original mm. art and rescanning the lot. Yeah. Which would have been a nice way it's to a do real, it. It's like that, a real sort of basic port. You know, they haven't I really, don't know. I didn't think it looks uh, No, awful. you know what? what think I think they've not? done a nice job and it's the only game on the package they've actually made compatible with Xbox Live and stuff as right, well. Yeah. Um, and that's almost a shame they didn't put that in MGS 3 and 2 because when you get to the end of the game they do give you these ranks yeah. it would be nice to be able to go into like a leaderboard on that game and see mm. what ranks your friends yeah, got yeah. Mm. and see how many times they finished the game and how many apps they've got and how they, they sort of because your rank really does say how you went through the game it's not just like oh he did he got a really high score so he got this rank your rank is like I mean did he save a lot well he got this rank is he, oh, is he a pussy okay. who saves all the time is he a guy who goes around murdering everybody is he a guy who goes around sneak whereas a rank if you spent most of your time on your belly in the game crawling if you spent most of your time hiding he was a rank for that there's like 50 different ranks and oh. you could see it and you could be like oh I know, Matt, I know Matt Castle he's the guy who spends the entire time on crawling oh I know Mike he's the guy who spends I am a crawler <laughs> I, I'm the guy I, I go around like, pathologically tranquilizing yeah. as many people as I can yeah so it would be a really interesting thing to see but the only game they've actually made compatible with live is Peace Walker mm. they did a really nice job of that you can share packages with people over Xbox I Live I that is then don't know but I mean the thing about Peace Walker is it was so built around being a multiplayer game anyway yeah. there are certain bosses in that game you really wouldn't want to fight on yeah, your own it wouldn't, wouldn't make sense just, just for you to play it on its own really I mean no. you can but it's like a kind of a mo- oh, I just spat across the room it's like a Monster Hunter in that some mm. bosses are designed to be fought by mm. three or four people I mean Matt Castle are going to get together and fight some of those big guys and of course in fact it does have Monster yeah, Hunter I was levels I going to ask is there, is there a monster that and monster they're still in there they've, they've kept the Monster Hunter really? bosses in there nice. yeah. it's tough to unlock but I'll talk you through it cool. mm. um we're going to be playing that online. Let me put it this way. If if MGS3 were released tomorrow and it looked like the HD collection MGS3, H, MGS3 HD with the widescreen, subsistence camera, the three, you know, the full rotating camera, 
slightly resed up character models. They've done like, a, but I mean, basically, it's this PS2 game. You would think it was a current generation game. I, I kept. I was, my girlfriend was watching me play the game last night. And I said to her, "You know, I keep on coming back to one thing, playing this game, one thing over and over, and I can't believe that I had played this game five years ago on my PS2." It makes no sense to me that I was able to play this game on a PS2 because everything the game does shouldn't be possible on a PS2. The physics of the grass as you run through it, the way the camera system works, the way the subtlety of the way they recognize motion and stuff. Little things like, you know, when you go into a... It's like this famous MGS2 thing where the, there's ice cubes which melt one at a time on their own if you scatter them across the floor. It's that level of detail. You can't believe it was made in the PS2 era. Because when you play it now, it feels brand new. It feels newer than a lot of the games you're playing right now. Mm. It feels ambitious. It feels brave. It feels daring on a platform, on a, you know, a generation which has been, at best, not very brave or ambitious or daring. It's kind of stuck to what it knows and has done what it does best. This is, it's almost not to get too wanky. It's a revelation. You know, you're like, wow, this is, this was as ambitious as a, a game could ever be, and. Here it is in the mm. in the current generation. I wonder who's going to buy it. Fans of Metal Gear will be mad not to buy it. Yeah. If you've never played a Metal Gear game before, mm. you'd be mad not to buy it. Uh, all, all, all the reason I say is because I, mean, I don't know what plans that Konami have got for advertising and stuff, but obviously it doesn't... I mean, you said that the MGS3 looks nice, you yeah. know, but obviously Peace Walker looks a bit... It's a handheld port. And MGS2 doesn't look that great. And, 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 and you know, once you... Once you you know, once you get it out there in the wild, you, you're, you're basically... Uh, I mean, people, like you say, people who love Metal Gear will buy it. People who know of Metal Gear but haven't had the chance to play it will, will possibly buy it. But but that's obviously a segment of the audience. And I just wonder... I just wonder whether people just judging it purely on on the aesthetics, on how it looks, will will buy it, you know. It just, that would yeah. be crazy. It's just such... Like, even if it's even if you're not worried about the gameplay, it's such, there's so much stuff in it. I and mean, those games are rammed. You know, people Peace, joke about... Peace Walker's a 56-hour game if you want it to be. But, yeah. but we know that because we... Mm. You know, oh, we've right, played, I see. You know, we've played it tons and, you know, Mike's, Mike's been going on about Metal Gear ever since, you mm. know. And we, the funny thing is I'm not even a big Metal Gear fan. No. Like, I'm really not. I like Metal Gear in spite but, of but, itself. But there will be a segment of the audience who, who, who are involved in games on the back of having bought Call of Duty yeah, yeah, or yeah. whatever. But mostly Call well, of I think, Duty. I think the name might carry it across to some of them because they will have heard the name. Metal yeah, Gear possibly, Solid. yeah. Um, I mean, I hope it does well, obviously, yeah, yeah. but I just wonder. I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't honestly be able to tell you how well it would do. I, I, won, I do wonder how well any of the metal, any of the HD collections sort of do because mm. you know they they are they are meant for sort of for, for hardcore gamers who know about them, whereas they don't have an awful lot of a lot, an awful lot of appeal beyond that. Mm. Yeah, this is definitely the first HD collection where if I if I hadn't uh, already got a copy of it, I would you know I would, I would think mm. about buying it. Does fancy a bit of Silent Hill? Uh, I I d- it's not really. It's not really. Is, my the MGS Three HD collection really does enhance the games you've already played. Mm. Like having the MGS Three in, in HD and running at sixty frames with the subsistence exactly. camera yeah. in widescreen, you see so much more of the world mm. and you see everything so much more clearly in the distance. If you play um, MGS3 from the PS2, resed up on a PS3, upscaled to the 720p screen, you realise just how rough that game looked. Mm. And seeing it as it is now, it's, it's for me, it's the best HD port mm. anyone's done so far. And it's done by the same guys, I think, who did the um, Ico and Shadow of the Colossus port. Mm. Blue Point Games. 
they weren't weren't too bad those. Yeah, they've done. They're they're showing a lot of respect to these games. Mm. And again, three ge- three great games for the price yeah, of exactly. one. Yeah, exactly. I'd advertise it. I'd just stick the wall of inevitably amazing scores that game is going to get. Yeah, that collection. Yeah. That would yeah. be it. You just go. Well, listen. It's got this many nineties. It must be good. <laughs> you know. It's, uh, it's reviewed in the in the issue that is out on shelves right now. Um, now moving on from what we've been playing. Mike, we got loads of questions uh, from the readers. It's question getting quite a few of them are aimed at the man Weaver here. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Breen. And all, almost Breen. all of them is to do with your books. Nathan, uh, uh, Nathan <laughs> Mills, David. Nice and on topic. Yeah. Well, well, two of those guys say, because you just talk about your new position, now you've been finding it since you're. Uh, yeah, so, okay. So uh, I moved off to do, uh, to set up uh, what we've called the game studio, which um, isn't making games. It's uh, it's actually to support these guys on Xbox World, on our, on the Sister Mag PSN3, on a Nintendo Gamer, uh, and also our website CMVG, and also Radar now, Games Radar. And uh, the idea is that um, it will be staffed with talented writers, uh, which will then be able to feed out uh, great copy into the magazines and onto our websites. Unfortunately, it's been a bit of a slow start because we've been a bit underpowered. Uh, we've just had one guy and me in the game studio, but we are we are staffed up from next week. Well, almost staffed up from next week. Two guys starting on Monday and uh, and another in February. So uh, so yeah, the idea eventually is that um, is that the the game studio will feed out amazing words uh, to our websites and magazines uh, probably across futures whole games network. But for the time being, we're just. Uh, we're just hoping, and I'm sure Andy will concur with this. Uh, we're just hoping to get it staffed up so that we can <laughs> help out the uh, the mags a little bit uh, and uh, and our websites as well. But we've had some good good stuff on, you know, some successes already, and it's been it's been really enjoyable. It's been <laughs> it's been quite fun. Get mm. to sit next to Castle and listen to all his yeah. crap all day. <laughs> um, so it's yeah, worth we're all we're all pretty much sat in this, in one. Yeah, we've got quite a nice little office now. All however yeah, many we're, of we're us are. We're all back to back. I mean, so even though uh, even though we, the, the sort of team has been semi divided, it's still one giant team. Mm. It's like, yeah, on paper it's a divided team, but we're all together. Yeah. Which is why I can bear witness to things like Matt Castle buying a packet of crisps at ten past ten in the oh, morning. Oh, come on. Don't bring that up. <laughs> I had a packet of crisps at ten because I was really hungry. Did you have a breakfast? No, I didn't. Uh, okay, that's and, forget, and that's in okay, my defence, I, in my defence, uh, I'm trying to eat healthily this year. It's one of my one of yeah. my resolutions. It's not going well. I have good I just, days and I bad days. I thought you were having a packet of crisps on top of the breakfast. No, no, no. But the thing is, yesterday for my tea, I had the most depressing meal ever. It was what was a, it? It was a uh, this is a cheese on meal. toast. No, this is this is you know a sad insight. A into, a sad insight into my very lonely life. I had a microwave dinner, and it was a be good to yourself microwave dinner. Oh, that's so a sad meal. it was basically pasta with a bit of aubergine uh, <laughs> in a microwave. A sad meal on a shame plate. Yeah, I tell you what though, not many cut calories, but no. uh, by, uh, by that logic, not, not much taste either. At no. uh, the Weaver House last night, we had steak. Brilliant Tuesday night steak night. I've discovered a good soup. You know, you and I hate soup. Yeah, yeah. I've discovered um, you can actually. There's one good soup, and it's pea and ham soup. Right. So what you do is you take because it's basically peas, right? It's mushy peas, just all mushed up. But that's sucked because it's still a drink. Still, it's still not a meal. Watery soup. Count me out. So here's what you do. You go to uh, you go to the old deli counter and you get them to cut you some cheap offcuts of ham. The cheapest ham they got. Give, you, give, us, give us some offcuts, big chunks of the stuff. You stick that in your bag. You then get yourself some frozen peas. Get home. You whack your ham in the thing, 
in the, the pan, you chop it up into cubes, you bang it in the pan, sizzle it up with a little bit of oil, right? So until it's glistening, so it's like the fats start coming out of the ham. Then you microwave, meanwhile you're microwaving your peas with a little bit of water, just to cook them a little bit. Sling them bad boys in the pan. Then you know what you do next, right? You pour the soup on top of all that stuff. Oh, okay. And you swirl it all up, get it nice and swirled. Then, and this is the killer ingredient, so this is where Mikey kills it, a st- two teaspoons of mint sauce into the into the peas. You know, the stuff you put on lamb? Mm. Bang that in there. That is a meal fit for a king. Right. Yeah, that sounds king. so much nicer than my be good to <laughs> yourself. But, it, but it's still probably going to match what you had calorie for calorie. So mm. it's yeah. like, it's a really, it's like really satisfying comfort food. Yeah. But really <laughs> light. You need to get involved with the soup, Matt. I I eat, I know I, that's Soup that's normally sucks. that's normally all I eat. Like this was a treat. I thought you know what I'm going to give myself something I can actually chew on some microwavable pasta. <laughs> so I had normally I have this uh, I have this soup which is carrot. I really like this. Well, I say I really like it. I have this carrot and parsnip <laughs> soup. But then it. I realised that I was only eating liquefied carrots, <laughs> which just is not. And everyone else, you know, you got Tim going steak night, and you have other people bringing in lots of people bringing in like pots of whatever nice thing that they cooked the night before. Yeah. I'm just sitting there thinking, well, I haven't got. A drop left of my liquefied carrots. That's <laughs> tragic. I just can't cook. I just can't cook. We can, te- we can teach you some shit. I just, told, I just told you that's what I, f- the, I that fear the kitchen. Thing. I fear the heat of the oven and things. Have you got so a, just... another question for the food cast? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think that I think the key to um, to uh, like eating good during the week is to take the easiest thing you can do and then like jazz it up a little bit because who wants to come home at the end of the day and do yeah, it? spend an hour cooking I'm like carrot soup and then boom sherbet dib dab right in there there you go delicious mix it up give yeah. it a bit of fizz the castle fizz that's what fizz. I call it it's, yeah. a, it's about customising things that already exist yeah. and making it special so you, yeah. you can, it's okay to buy the off the shelf pie who's going to make a pie all of their own that's, not, that's insane that's the thing like, I, used to get, I get some lettuce leaves just mix up some lettuce leaves and then I put a Big Mac in it Yeah, just mix that all up yeah. and then I eat the Big Mac delicious yeah, yeah. yeah. What would be the uh, dream launch lineup for the next Xbox? Asks Tom Rushton. Uh, Forza. Bear in mind, we're, talk- we're talking November two thousand, <laughs> November twenty thirteen, right? Yeah, Forza. I reckon they'll definitely do Forza. Forza, but if you're talking November twenty thirteen, you're talking Call of Duty as yeah, well. Yeah, gears. Will, they'll do some sort of gears, I reckon, because if Halo's coming out this year, they're not going to be able to turn around. They're probably not going to be able to do Halo. That's not what I hear. Oh, really? Rumor has it. Maybe they will do Halo then. Or it will have to be a Halo compromise though, won't it? They've got a really big studio over there. Right, They've okay. got a real big studio. So they'll, well, you need to hit all the same beats, don't you, for a launch. So you need your beat em up your shooter, your dry, driving yeah. game. RPG maybe? maybe I'd like to see a bit of Fable 4. I reckon it'd be Fallout 4. Could be. Here's the here's the dream launch lineup. Forget Fable, because what? No, I like Fable. Well, yeah. I, I, at this point, I just really want to see Molyneux do something new. I want to see him go wild and do something crazy. I just want to see pants being pooped in really, really high definition. Men sharting. Yeah, basically. Here's uh, I think you're obviously going to get Forza. Yeah, definitely. Because that's their PGR for yeah. the next generation. Mm. Night launch. You need a Call of Duty. Everybody forgets Call of Duty Two launched the last Xbox. It was actually the first one of the first games which came out along with uh, Strangle, not Stranglehold, uh, Condemned. And, and it will mm. be a modern warfare as well. Yeah, yeah, it would be an Infinity so War. It won't, be the, it it won't was, be the Shadow one um, for the first Xbox as well. Yeah. Quake, Quake, was, Quake, Quake right, was actually yeah. a bigger name than Call of Duty, and yeah. Quake Four was a bit Shadow, yeah. and COD Two was was the business. Yeah, because Quake was sort of. I had some promise because Wolfenstein was so big on the original Xbox mm. and it went uh, but you know what could be a goer for that if you're talking November 2013 new Mass Effect for launch 
Like, that, that would be your RPG. Possible. Mm. Yeah, yeah. New, new Mass Effect trilogy, maybe. Ubisoft, Ubisoft will be all over it. They'll have, they'll be, have a bunch of fitness games. They'll be pump, pumping out another Assassin's yeah, Creed. Yeah, they'll, be, they'll Assass- be pumping some Creed, Assassin's definitely. Creed 3. 3.1. Bedazzlations or yeah. whatever. <laughs> Assassin's <laughs> 3, rinky-dink pants. Essentially, a dream launch lineup is this, is this completely absurd list of all of the, your favourite games. Yeah, from the I mean, you've got to think logically about it, I think. You know, like, yeah, we'd love Mass Effect and all that, mm. but... but It'll definitely be Forza, and Mike, Mike seems to think it'll probably be Halo. I mean, they'd be, they'd be insane not to do Halo. I just didn't think they'd be able to turn it around mm. in time, but they might do a Gears, Here's, maybe. here's what I would always Gears, say. Gears prequels. The, yeah. the next, lining those up. If you're launching a new console generation, you're going to struggle to sell it, because guess what? It's going to be really friggin' expensive. If you're packaging it with a Kinect, and as we're hearing now, a tablet controller, mm. much like we use controller, that's going to be a really, really expensive machine. So... What's how do you sell that? You, you said the simple answer is you don't. And the early adopters are just going to get shafted. But you put a modern warfare game on it. That's a game that sells on this gener- this generation 15 million copies. Let's say a third of the people, the most hardcore Call of Duty guys. Not even say a third. Let's say 10 percent of them. That's still a million and, mm. and a half people. Say ten percent of them say it might uh, just to play Call of Duty. It's worth buying the next Xbox. You just sell one and a half million Xboxes. Mm. I, spo- I suppose the other the other thing in the equation is that PS3 will probably launch about the same time. Will it? PS4. Uh, PS4. Yeah. Sorry. I think, PS4. I think it almost certainly. Yeah. So, they, so they're not going to want to lose a because they lost a lot of so time they'll be competing yeah. they'll be competing with they, they, Xbox they know the last generation was a big they, mistake they've never recovered they'll be competing on the third party front with, with I, Xbox I maintain so. the next generation is the last generation so whoever wins it is really playing for keeps this time because this, mm. ne- this next one will be the generation that where we cut the but where big boxes under your TV finally give way to small boxes in your hand well which nice. also connect to your TV yeah and you're looking at like a world where the TV is going to be your console, you know, and you're going to be just downloading games straight to it through systems like Steam and so on. Then the next generation is really about playing for keeps. Mm. And if you're playing for keeps, Halo at launch says we're, we're taking the next yeah. generation. Halo and there is no bigger single format game than a Halo game. And if you can go out on day one with that and Gears, you've sealed it. They might also have the old uh, sort of echo what they did with the launch of 360 where they have some games that I'm thinking specifically of GTA 5 here that, cut, that launch and say because the latest room for GTA 5 is April isn't it April 2013 yeah. so they, they launch April 2013 and then they do a Xbox 720 version Mike, they did mm. a lot of games at the start of this generation there was a Tomb Raider a port of Tomb Raider there was a port of Blood Money all of those games yeah, had man. a gun yeah, Gun. All yeah. these games King have rezzed up versions of the previous generation games. So they might do that King as well. Kong. Imagine that, a launch lineup with Call of Duty, Gears of War, Halo, Forza and GTA. Yeah, imagine that. No, but imagine, I mean, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Probably yeah, won't yeah. Happen, hey, they asked for a dream launch. Oh yes, that, of course, it's a dream launch. Yes, sorry. Matt Castle's sitting there bringing us all down to No, 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 so I'm not. Going, yeah, we'll probably just get a, re- a remake of Gun. It won't be as good as the Wii U. <laughs> <laughs> Re- reality is that we, we're probably going to get a couple of big shooters, a race, a Forza, and a load of Kinect guff. Yeah, but a new Forza would be all right by me. Yeah, yeah. Mike, <laughs> Mike, we've got another question. Oh, people, a lot of people are asking about the book, your new book. Oh, right, okay. Oh, no, we're not going to pimp your new book on here, but you was actually, um, you was actually uh, <laughs> working on it last night, right? Yeah, You're yeah. It's a proofreading stages. Pro- proofreading it at the moment. Yeah, it'll be out in <clears throat> July. <laughs> <laughs> you ever, if someone asked, do you ever think about doing a screenplay? 
Yeah, I did. I did a screenplay. I had a I had a screenplay in in development at BBC at once at one time, but then the books started taking over, so um, that sort of went on the back burner. But yeah, yeah, it was a TV pilot, so I've still got that in my head kicking around. So I'd definitely like mm. to do that at some stage. Cool. One more, Mike. Make it a good one. But you say that, you always say that, and that leaves me in shit. I'll tell you what, the questions have been good. Yeah, they have been really good. Even the one about Tim's book was good. (laughs) Even that awful question about Tim's book was quite good. Thanks to whoever asked it. You guys just talk amongst yourselves for a while. I'm just going to say. Did you you see the Oscar nominations yesterday? Did, yeah. Let me tell you something. Terence Malick's <laughs> Tree of Life. I haven't seen it, but I, I know, have. But I know for a fact that that doesn't deserve to be anywhere near the you Oscars. You hate Terence Malick, don't you? I, I, I think he's a massively, massively overrated uh, director. He's loved by Hollywood, and I, I just think that that's the only reason he's got. The, the, I'm sure it looks visually beautiful, but it's anything like The Thin Red Line, which is one of the most tedious and pretentious movies I've ever seen. It can go and stick it right up its own. Robin one. Cooper asks, "If you could punch anyone in the world in the face, who would you choose? Maybe <laughs> <laughs> Terence Malick." Oh, there's quite a lot of people, but at this precise moment, let's say Terence Malick. Yeah. yeah, you'd wait for him to, to for him to get distracted by some like the beauty of nature, and he just yeah. hit him with a brick. Wouldn't I've you? seen Tree of Life, and Tree of Life is um, Brad Pitt and Sean Penn standing on a road, staring down the road towards the sunset, going, uh, "Beautiful, beautiful." What is nature? Nature's. Nature nature toils inside me. I don't know what I'm it's saying. It's a truly unbearable film. And it's an amazing film in how unbearable it is. Yeah. Like I, can t- I, I guarantee there'll be a million people who know much more about film than I do and make a really good case for why it's great. But it's essentially a montage of incredibly beautiful shots with people... with Sean Penn, Brad Pitt and, and others talking about over the top of it and yeah. it all somehow t- all ties back to the to dawn of time yeah count me out but Tinker Taylor is massively underrepresented oh right? it's, it's mm. abs- absolutely shocking lack of support for Tinker Taylor Gary Oldman's up for best actor which I can strongly agree with I think I think Gary Oldman you think he'll win it uh, I, no probably not like, everyone seems to be it's not going to be that twat in the, in the silent movie is it he's not twat <laughs> he's a reason that guy is really charming Tell in the people artist. the story you told me about the artist that is essentially got no, it, the, the thing, the thing about the, the artist is this black and white silent silent film um, made by this this French director whose certain name I can't pronounce. I'm not even going to try. Isn't it like Sid Vicious or something? Hannah Vish, Hannah Vicious Hannah or something. Vicious or Hannah something. Vinicious or something. Yeah. Um, no, basically these guys they they were like they're like a spoof team. You know, they made they they're made like the these Zucker brothers. Of yeah, kind of like the French version of of the uh, Abra- the Zuckers and Abraham was it Abraham. And Zucker, yeah, I can't remember which way around it is. Um, who did like Airplane and Top Secret and all that kind of stuff? So they used to make these really goofy spy films based on the kind of sort of sort of James Bond sort of stuff, very sort of very sort of sixties sort of seventies vibe. And like they're just masters of sort of the lampoon. And the, you know, to me, the art that's what the artist is as well. You know, they said Let, let's make a black and white silent film. They cast all their kind of prankster actors from their other films and said send it up so it's really over the top it's really kind of like big smiles and ridiculous and there's lots of jokes in it lots of jokes about it being a silent film you know there's a he's a dream sequence where there's like sound effects come in and he's all scared because he doesn't understand why objects are suddenly making sounds around him um but you know because it's about hollywood and the kind of golden age of hollywood they've just sort of gone yeah it was brilliant well done you've made the ultimate kind of homage to hollywood you love it but it's brilliant you know it's really reaffirming great 
let's give it loads of Oscars. But it's it you know it's it was an exercise in spoof I think you know it's to begin with and now it's become the little film that could and it's probably going to be the first silent film since in like eighty years to win to win the best picture Oscar. Mm. That's that's Castle's prediction. It will win. Last clean up other award ceremonies, isn't it? Clean yeah, yeah, I think Hugo uh, Scorsese's kids film is going to. Gonna gonna win big on the old technical front. Yeah, I think Clooney's gonna win Best Actor for The Descendants, which I've not seen, but I can just tell that that's that's what's yeah, what gonna Oscar be. Yeah, that's Oscar that film. Yeah. Go so on, the final question, just because I like, it, I think it's a nice question. It's a little insight into the minds of you f- freaks. Uh, <laughs> David Simmons asks, uh, "What's your earliest memory from your childhood? The very first memory you've got in the bank?" Mm. It's not. It's completely off topic, but. That's a nice question. question. I'll do mine while you guys are racking your tiny little minds. Uh, Mine was actually, uh, I think it's my third birthday party and it rained. So my parents, um, again, I've said before, we we weren't exactly wealthy, but the next door neighbours had like a big tent. Mm. I mean a big tent, like a big marquee sized tent. Mm. So they borrowed it off of them and set it up in the garden. And you know, when you're three, you don't actually have friends. Mm. You so it's like friends, your your parents' friends come yeah, over yeah. to have it as an excuse. And so, as a party, we had underneath the um, underneath this tent, which is um, only uh, it's not an interesting memory at all, I gotta say. <laughs> but it was my first memory. But what I was thinking was what makes it would make this interesting as we do the first memory and your first gaming memory. My first gaming memory was play, going to Butlins and I think playing Operation Wolf. Mm, you know, the arcade. Yeah, yeah, great, yeah. Game. Great, game. great game. Great game. And standing on a box to play it. Mm. And they had a box in the arcade because they're like, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of kids. and They used to have an old milk crate in our, uh, in our uh, arcade where you, you the same thing. Yeah. There used to be this old red milk crate. For this, it was, uh, it was a black box. With, it, was, it was a proper set of steps. It had a step up on it as well. And Operation Wolf is a game where you basically murder your way through thousands. <laughs> and I played that, and that was just the first memory I have, I think, of playing a game and knowing, like, oh, this is, mm. like, this is what I need this in my life. But the game I really fell in love with was actually on the same trip. And that was, I think, almost exclusively because it had the hydraulic cabinet, was um, a Thunderblade helicopter game. Right, right, right. I absolutely fell in love with Thunderblade. And it was one of those games, you know, when you're a kid, you just sit in the cabinet and just like, you just move the controls. Yeah, yeah. It was that. And if I was lucky enough to get like a, because I think back then it must have been like 20p a credit. Yeah, very much. Get a 20p banged in that thing. Mm. Oh, man. It lasts for ages as well. It would last for ages, yeah. And I've been, again, I've been on a massively nostalgic trip this week about arcades because Sega released a video of the Daytona USA guy, the musician, singing a new version of Let's Go Away. The Daytona USA soundtrack. And I'm not sure about you, Tim, but I kind of grew up in arcades. And throughout the 90s, most of my time was spent in the arcade. Mm. We would go to the arcades in Britain. Well, I'll just go on my own because I would know. You'd go there and you'd know someone at the arcade and you'd just hang out with them. Mm. I'd get on the bus from my my, my dad's house in Bristol and I would get a single to halfway along the journey Mm. and then ride that all the way to the end, Right. And then getting back, I would just hand them the single ticket all crumpled up and just hope they would punch it as a return and then take that all the way back. Mm. Because, and if they didn't, obviously, I would, I would have to like pay for a single to the halfway along the trip right, again. Right, right, right. And then again, ride up to all the way. Basically, you bury yourself right at the back of the bus and just keep your head down and hope nobody... And nobody ever did like pick me up on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But if by doing that, I actually would save myself a whole quid, which would have been two credits on Virtual <laughs> Fighter, Virtual Racing, Daytona USA or whatever... And if you grew up in arcades in the 90s, the soundtrack to your youth, whether you like it or not, is Let's Go Away from Daytona USA because that's all you would hear in any arcade in the country. 
What about you, Tim? What was your state with your earliest gaming memory, I think? Yeah. Uh, so, probably, like Mike, I grew up playing games. Well, the first games I played were in the arcades. I think, actually, Mike and I probably went to a lot of the same arcades in Western Supermare. Did you ever go to Butlins when you were little? In my no, head. I never went to Butlins. But, um, went to Mr. B's in Western Supermare. Yeah, I went to Mr. B's in Western Supermare, so I yeah. think <laughs> I think we probably played a lot of the same games. But I... I, I, I it, we, we used to have a one more local to us, and that was where I used to stand on the milk crate and play Final Fight. But, hey, nice. <laughs> but, uh, but when we went to Mr. B's, we used to, uh, used to when play... When Final Fight came out, you'd have been like nine. Yeah, I just remember it's playing... Small I remember I remember playing. I remember playing Final Fight a lot when we, we used to go down to this campsite down in, uh, down in Bournemouth with my mum and dad, and they had Final Fight, and they had that Turtles... Um, Konami oh, Turtles, one, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, on, that's on Xbox Live. Side-scrolling game, yeah. Uh, uh, never, never so much into that one. But we used to, me and my cousin used to play Final Fight because he was like three years younger than me. Used to play Final Fight all the time. And I was Mike, and he was Cody, oh. and we used to, uh, we used to love it. Yeah, it was, it was, it was brilliant. But before that, I was probably so you're Mike Hagger, right? Yeah, yeah Mike Hager, Hager, Hager. Yeah, the mayor of yeah. whatever city was it, Metro City. Metro City, yeah. <laughs> Um, Mary just strips his shit off and just goes around the bus. That's right, yeah. I must get pick up that burger so I can eat it and get his drink. <laughs> I like the plot. I've always liked the plot to Bad Dudes versus Dragon Ninja, which was the president is there's is, is a spate of ninja related crime. Ninja related crime is the highest like the crime statistics across America. Ninja related crime everywhere, and even the White House isn't immune. They bust into the White House, kidnap the president. A Secret Service agent grabs two street punks and says, the president's been kidnapped. Are you bad enough dudes to rescue the president? Oh, that's a good plot. And he's like, uh, and the president's called Ronnie, because it was uh, Ron Reagan, obviously. Right, okay. And he said, uh, are you bad enough dudes to rescue the president? And they're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, they go are. off and fight ninjas. Sure. Mm. Brilliant. Uh, so I, and, and just quickly, as well as the arcade, I remember before that, um, my, uh, we had a, I can't remember what system it was, but we played Commando at home. You know, is it Commando? Yeah. The uh, one where it's like a top down, it yeah, kind of yeah, runs yeah. across the yeah. Is it like an Amiga or something? Like that? No, no, no. It was before the Amiga. No, I'm I'm much older than that, Andy. Unfortunately, Aww. yeah. What about you, Matt? Magna Castle. Uh, my earliest. It all gets a little hazy. I'm a slightly younger than the other. I'm slightly younger than the other guys, so I can't really remember. I think it was probably a probably the Game Boy, which I know strikes everyone's been quite late. Uh, I didn't really go to arcades, um, but I always remember there being a period of life where I didn't have any games machine and the Game Boy was the only thing I'd played and it was literally anyone's ha- anyone I knew who had a Game Boy at their house that was a house I wanted to be in big chunky you know? thing in the Game Boy as well you, you feel know, safe putting mm-hmm. in a child's hands it's the thing but I'd always know like like my cousin I think my cousins had one and I know like the friends of my parents parents friends who had kind of children of my parents friends who had Game Boys so I'd always get really excited if I knew I was going to a house where there was a Game Boy because all I ever wanted to play was Super Mario um, Super Mario Land uh, which is not a very good Mario not the first one not, not six golden coins no no the first one okay yeah, no, not, the Duff yeah, one yeah the Duff one with the, I could never get past second level but that's the thing I, I could only ever play it at people's houses so I gradually got better mm. over like ages ages um, so it was probably that mm. my first experience I, I guess I had a I had an Amstrad, CPC four six four. Courtesy of Alan Sugar. That might have that might have been what I played Commando. That on. and that that ran on tapes. 
So you no one's to stick got a tape any in. fondness for the CPC 464. No, I, I, I know, have. but everybody talks shit on it because everyone remembers the C64. Everyone remembers the Spectrum, mm. uh, and Spectrum's very much the UK, the homegrown console of choice. The Commodore 64 is very much the American kind of thing. Mm. But no one ever has any love or any time for the CPC 464. In actual fact, well, it has some let, great games. Let, let me tell you, mm. the, the the games they had, I had. Um, there was, there was one. Do you remember I, the I day you got remember. it? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but I'm trying to remember the name of the game. I, I won't remember. It was a, it was like an RPG thing, and in, back then RPGs were like, you had to decide. It was like the books, so Pen you had to, you had to, oh, you had to yeah. say, go forward, go north, yeah. and then you so suddenly, you'd suddenly adventure. die. Yeah. yeah. Um, I can't remember what it was. I remember it took 17 minutes to load <laughs> when you put the tape in. Awesome. It took 17 minutes. But what was more immediate? Because I think it only took like. Uh, four minutes to load was a game called Harrier Attack. Remember uh, Harrier which was Attack? Just, just yes. a little, a little turdy Harrier going across yeah. the screen, yeah. and you drop bombs at an angle. Yeah, and that was it. My friend Becky had the Harrier Attack. We played it many times. And that, that was badass. <laughs> and then, then after that, I, I, I played a lot on that. And um, my first console was my first console was a Mega Drive. And what, what I spent a lot of time playing as well as Sonic, because everyone played Sonic, as I spent a lot of time playing Quack Shot Quest. And Quack Quack shot shot quest. Quest. you could never, you could, you couldn't save on the Mega Drive. There, there was certain yeah. systems came in a bit later, but you couldn't, you couldn't save on the Mega Drive. So if you wanted to finish Quackshot Quest, which was like every, everyone at our school had it, yeah. and they, they were desperate to finish. If you wanted to finish it, you had to play it from start to finish in one in one long go, oh, no, and you had lives, well. you had lives. It was difficult, and one kid at school um, finished it. I got, I remember, I got to the last boss once, mm. and that was a big moment for me. And I didn't. I didn't actually finish it. Um, but yeah, there was there was always one kid at school who'd like finish games like this, and he'd finish Quackshot, and I hated him for it. <laughs> I, I remember at the, the Amstrad knees. we had at home, and we had a game. I don't know. You probably won't remember it, Andy, because it was an awful game that probably no one bought. It was called Zub, mm-hmm. and it was <laughs> like this. Zub. It was yeah. like this game where you had to. It was basically like a horizontal, like a platformer, I guess, mm. which you had to kind of work your way out, and there were like 99 levels on it. <laughs> and uh, my dad, who was has never before then, or ever since, expressed any interest in games whatsoever, played it relentlessly <laughs> to, the point of com- to the point of completing it. And the disappointment wow. on his face when, it, when he got to the fi- final end screen, it said, oh, wait a minute, you're going to now do it in reverse. And he had to jump oh, down all no. the way back down to the bottom, all 99 levels. He was utterly crushed. And since that point, he's never touched another video game. He's betrayed. <laughs> yeah, utterly betrayed by Zub. Zub. <laughs> and, and on, on that, that note, Neil, before we yeah, we um, say thanks for listening to the podcast. Um, we hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, as always, check us out on Facebook. We're on there, Xbox World, and on Twitter at Xbox, Xbox World 360 Mag. on Facebook, Xbox World Mag on Twitter. That's right. And look out for the new issue. It will be on shelves on the seventh of February. Yeah. So then, we thanks should, for there should be a podcast and time to pimp that one as well. We'll talk about it next time. See you later. Bye. 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 Farewell. Bye.